0: The final eight are here, we're down to the pointy end of the Asian Cup in Qatar. Graham Arnold was surely grinning ear to ear as South Korea's 99th minute equaliser in their round of 16 clash against Saudi Arabia ensured a full 120 minute encounter that would tie the legs of Australia's quarterfinal opponents. In the end it was South Korea who prevailed and will meet the Socceroos in the next round, with a little bit more than just a semi-final place on the line. Jordan scored two in injury time after another controversial red card to get the better of Iraq in what was arguably the game of the tournament so far. Iran scraped through also on penalties but will have to face the might of Japan without their star striker. Even with a major international tournament going on, there's never a boring week in the domestic game either. Transfer news, coaches taking leave, and even cyber security breaches. Australian football, you never disappoint. We'll get you up to date on all those issues and preview the Asian Cup quarterfinals on this episode of the A-Leagues of our own podcast, presented by the Inner Sanctum. My name is Lachlan Abel and joining me tonight for your Asian Cup breakdown is Jacob Stevens. Hello to you. A pleasure as always, Lockie. And Chris McPherson, welcome.
1: Hello, Lockie. pumped to be here.
0: We're officially, uh, we've passed the last game where the Socceroos have a 10.30 time slot or 10 o'clock time slot as well. Are you looking forward to the 2.30 game on the
1: weekend? <laughs> At least it's the weekend.
0: That is true. At Good least point. it's the weekend. But we have so much A-League to watch as well. How are we going to fit it all in?
1: Toothpicks in eyelids, I think, is the
0: solution, Lockie. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the games that was also very early in the morning, and it was the game that we were all paying attention to, Jacob, was Saudi Arabia won, South Korea won, of course, South Korea, getting the job done on penalties. This game... Uh, <laughs> pretty tame for most of it to be honest until that uh, last little flurry in the last 20 minutes from South Korea like most knockout games are it was relatively cagey early Saudi Arabia had those three chances in the first half hit the post hit the post then some kind of amazing save from the the keeper or the defender I'm not even quite sure who got the touch on it I think it was I think it was the defender the, like the centre back was on the line I
2: think um, just mental either way I mean the fact that Korea struggled so much was quite interesting. I think a lot of people had them quite high in terms of the likelihood of them winning it all um, heading into this tournament. I know I did, for one. And just the way that they've played has been a little bit uninspired. Obviously, people have been saying the same about Australia as well. So perhaps it's a, a recurring theme for a lot of the teams in this tournament. Um, but, you know, they got the job done at the end of the day. And that last, you know, in added time in the second half, they looked incredible. I mean, they had about five or six chances in the last five minutes alone, um, and it's you sort of go, well, where was that all that, or the whole game, or the whole tournament? You know, where's that passion, that that fight, that energy been? Um, they made a bit of an interesting decision um, in terms of their lineup. Um, they went with a sort of five at the back, three centre backs, and the two wing backs, which was interesting because that's not what they've done at all so far this tournament. They've usually played with like the double pivot just in front of a back four. Um, in terms of why they did it, I'm not 100% sure. I think it might have been a counter to Saudi Arabia's lineup. Saudi Arabia likes to have five in the midfield. So I think the idea was that you're keeping one back at all times, but also you've still got those wing backs who can attack up the wings. Um, it didn't work particularly well for them. With a system like that, you have to have centre-backs who are confident playing in a back three. Um, I don't think that career's centre backs looked particularly good there. They looked a bit all over the place for a centre back. You're used to having somebody next to you, but you're not used to having somebody next to you on both sides, and that can be a little bit freaky sometimes because you feel trapped or you feel like you have to do too much. Uh, a player that I think you know is an example of somebody who does suit that system is like a Harry Maguire, you know, who who can work as that anchor. If you don't have an anchor centre back in the squad there's no point playing with a back 3 because you're just going to have players all over the place and obviously once they conceded that first goal they just switched back to their normal back 4 and looked a lot lot more solid at the back so i think it was an interesting little test uh, i don't think it worked um, not 100% sure why they did it and it's a bit of a strange time to bring it in
0: you, you say it didn't work but i guess it depends on what they were trying to achieve and what their objectives were you know those wing backs that you mentioned they were sitting very deep in possession. It, it was a proper five at the back when they were didn't have the ball. And you know, Chris, in these tournaments, games come so quickly. There's a very quick turnaround to this Socceroos game that Australia have a few days extra rest. You know, apart from those balls that hit the crossbar, Saudi Arabia only had one or two shots on target that whole first half. If perhaps the objective was just to work your way into the game and keep things under control, then you could argue it worked okay.
1: Yeah, it might have been uh, a situation, as you say, of just trying to control a little bit of possession. Not a lot of great chances for Saudi Arabia. Not a lot of chances, I should say, for Saudi Arabia, but the chances they did have were fairly dangerous when they got there. So uh, there's probably a counter-argument for both sides. Were they resting on their laurels to try and get through some time? Maybe they just like to take things right right to the depth of uh, stoppage time as they did in that game and in two of their pool games to escape withdrawals. So look, they know how to get out of trouble, but maybe a Solution for Korea might be to not get into trouble in the first place.
0: It's almost like we talked about with the Western City Wanderers earlier in the season. They kept com- having these uh, late game comebacks. That's just, you know, just don't get in a position where you need to do that and you're going to end up great. Uh, just before uh, on Saudi Arabia, before we talk about uh, Korea moving forwards to the Australia game, Jacob, Roberto Mancini, um, he made a couple of headlines out of this game. First of all, bringing on the 21-year-old Abdullah Radif who went on to score within 33 seconds of the second half. Talk about a super sub, that was quite impressive. But then Mancini as well, watching the penalty shootout from the benches obviously wasn't going Saudi Arabia's way, decided to walk down the tunnel before the shootout was even over. That wasn't a great look.
2: We've all been there as fans though, watching penalty shootouts, right? Where you just don't even want to be watching it. You want to be anywhere else but watching the shootout. So you can kind of understand it. But for the, the, the head coach to be doing that is a bit strange. Uh, the the sub of Radif was absolutely inspired and he was Saudi Arabia's best player. I mean, yes, he scored, but he also had a couple of chances in extra time as well. Uh, you know. One or two where you think maybe if it was just you know that level up as to in terms of as a player he might have buried those and and the result would have been very very different. So you know maybe it's one of those things where Saudi Arabia will look back and go maybe we should have used him a bit earlier or, or used him a bit more in this tournament and made things a bit easier for ourselves.
1: Certainly, I think the one thing that he has done, even though his finishing might not have been on point for a twenty-one-year-old, uh, Mancini's put Radik in the in the shop window for some teams, I think. I think there'll be some clubs that'll look at him and see there's some really good bare bones there. And he's not someone we've seen a lot of starring performances out of yet in the Asian Cup. So if there's one positive for Saudi Arabia, I'd suggest he's got an opportunity to either depart their shores or leverage some more money out of one of their very wealthy clubs in the uh, in the coming windows.
0: Chris, I guess it also shows the fickleness of football. If if Korea don't score that goal in the last minute, Mancini's a genius for making the substitution and taking his team through. Instead, the whole penalty fiasco happens and he's not the right person to lead Saudi Arabia forward. It's strange how these things happen.
1: certainly is. Uh, it's the great thing about our game is that, you know, split seconds and instant moments can be the decider between genius and madness. Uh, and as you say, you know, Mancini could have been taking them all the way deep into the into the final or somewhere else. Who knows? Instead, who would have thought, after uh, all the wonderful things he's done at club land, that we'd see Mancini not good enough to coach and mid-tier Asian side in the Asian Cup.
0: Well, let's move forward uh, to the Australia game that will be against South Korea. Jacob, there's been this narrative throughout the whole Asian Cup that when we play against teams with these low blocks and don't give us much space that we struggle, but the Socceroos are better against better teams. And I think a lot of people are expecting that when we come up against South Korea, we're going to get more of that openness, uh, uh, opportunities in transition, that kind of style of game which I think we will to some extent, but I don't think it's going to be as much as people think. You you talked about the formation that Klinsman played in this game and perhaps you're right. It might have been a direct counter to what Saudi Arabia are putting out there, but I wouldn't be surprised if they stick with it, at least for the first half of this game against the Socceroos as well, because the the advantage of what we talked about, they've just played a full 120-minute game. They get two days less rest than the Australians who, let's face it, had a cruisy victory against Indonesia, the emotional drainage of a fixture like that as well, having to push so hard for that 99th minute equaliser and then go through penalties, that takes a lot out of a team. And when they did have that five at the back, they were extremely solid in defence. They didn't allow too many chances. So I don't know, if you wanted to just spend the first half getting yourselves into the game and not allow Australia those opportunities that everyone's been saying they capitalise on better than having lots of the ball... Then it might not be a bad option.
2: No, I think it really depends on where Klinsman thinks Australia is most vulnerable. If he thinks that it's defensively, then he's going to want players forwards uh, and he might stick with his back four. If he thinks that, you know, Australia has really struggled to break down solid back lines and defenses that are well structured, then yeah, he might as well stick with the, the back five because we have seen Australia struggle there. It's still I don't think anybody has a solution to the issue Um, and so if if South Korea can capitalize on that they'd be silly not to it's something he'll consider I'm sure Klinsman playing the back five again you're silly to try something out like that for half a game and then never use it again you know there's got to be some sort of reasoning behind it Um, and if it's not to play it deeper in the tournament then I'm not sure what the reasoning is and But it'll be an interesting matchup for sure. I don't think it will be as open ended as people are expecting it to be, simply because the quality of the two sides is so high that it's not going to be, nobody's going to be overrun in the midfield, sort of thing. That's what happens typically when, you know, a good team is up against a lesser team and it's a bit more open because the lesser team's throwing bodies forwards and they don't have the quality midfielders for, for hold up play or anything like that. South Korea, that's not the case. They've got quality players, we know that. And I think that it'll be a little bit more tough, even if they are hyper-attacking. I think they'll still be but prove to be stubborn enough in, in the midfield areas that it won't be quite as open as people are probably expecting it to be.
0: And Chris, we can't forget as well that this South Korean team under Klinsman is unbeaten in their last 12 games, seven of which have been clean sheets. They certainly know how to keep the ball out of their own net when they need to.
1: Yeah, they just seem to have a a manner that finds what they need when they need it, as we talked about just before, They're scoring goals late in the game to get away with draws or in this case uh, to take them to extra time. Uh, They've found a way of winning and it's one of those old cliches of football is that teams that find a way of winning keep doing so, teams that find a way of losing keep finding ways to lose. Um, Again, as you touched on, I wouldn't be surprised if they use that sort of five-man back line to try and rest up and recuperate. They've had a lot of football. They've had long games. I mean, there's 10 minutes of stoppage time in the second half of that game as well as extra time, as well as the 90 minutes. So they've been going deep into these games and having to put effort. They haven't been able to rest on their laurels, so to speak, whereas you look at Australia in their round of 16 game and they kind of had a bit more of an opportunity to kind of just, you know, not exactly need to put the foot on the throat and go hard for all of the 90 minutes against Indonesia. So... Uh, a little bit of a contrast there. So it'll be interesting to see how Klinsman, I guess, embraces that. But it's going to be a cracking matchup, as Jacob said, two very strong teams, two, the second and third favourites essentially heading into the tournament. Um, And I think they still sit that way in lines of betting. So, yeah, it's a a lot on the line in terms of it and can't wait to see it because it's going to be an absolute cracker uh, either way the teams go about it.
0: Jacob, from Graham Island's perspective, looking at this game, You know, we've had debates around personnel starting the whole tournament Craig Goodwin, Geordie Boss, Mitch Duke, Gethin Jones, those sorts of players. Is there anything specific about this career team that might lend itself to one of those players being extra useful? That's a fantastic question. I'm not 100% sure,
2: to be perfectly honest, simply because, as Chris has touched on, career is, is so good at just being clinical when they need to be, keeping goals out, scoring goals when they have to. It's one of those things where they don't have a play style where you can identify a single player as going, right, they're the sort of person that can unlock this. You know, you can see that against some low block teams where you go, oh, this player who's great with the ball at feet might be able to get past a couple and create a chance. But with Korea, they're just solid. You know, it's not, they're not setting up in a low block. They're not doing anything crazy. They're just really, really good. Um, so it'll be difficult for, I mean, Graham Arnold's had a difficult job this whole time. Anyway, it doesn't, doesn't really matter who he chooses. People will complain. Um, I do think that again, people keep coming in though, into the team, putting in performances and sort of asking that question, you know, Goodwin in in the Indonesia game, you know, came on and has a goal and an assist with what his first two touches of the ball or whatever. So (laughs) it's Is he back in the squad starting? I don't know. It, you know does you, Jordy Boz come in over Aziz Bayic? Probably not, but you never know. You've got the right back question with Gethin Jones, who has been absolutely slandered over uh, on football Twitter the whole tournament. Everyone seems to he's public enemy number one. And uh, and yet he got an assist with a, a fantastic ball. So <laughs> it's it's constant constantly these players asking questions and when you think right surely they're gone they won't play again they pull something out where you go well maybe we have to keep them in there
0: i'm gonna make a couple of firm predictions for you i think goodwin and bach will be the pair on the left we, we heard a little bit of uh, news that perhaps uh, perhaps goodwin had a little bit of an injury wobble which was why he wasn't first choice in the team uh, and that, that came from simon hill so relatively reliable source And, uh, you know, Bage is considered by Arnold as one of the players of the tournament for Australia so far. So I think that's who will be on the left. But on your point about people not being happy and people complaining on the time, Jacob, we've seen a bit of discourse in the last week or so. You know, some people are unhappy about all this criticism of the Socceroos. You know, we've certainly not shied away from that as well. Chris, I think it speaks more to where this team has come in terms of what we expect of them. You know, the group stage is expected to get through and probably top it most of the time. And now we're coming into a game where, okay, we're not, we'd love to win this game against South Korea, but it's no easy task like the last four have. we'd hope have been. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think we have a right to ask questions about certain decisions, Um, but when do you flip the switch and you say, okay, now we just got to back our guy in charge, and wish him luck essentially going forwards.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's 100%. percent you hit the nail on the head, Lockie. We've had a situation where some of the performances, even though the results on the scoreboard might have done the job, they might not have been exactly what we expected from a team that I think we talked about on this podcast in the previews. We expected, and again, we couldn't project exactly what the knockout rounds would bring, but we expected the a pass mark would be the semi finals. We now head into a quarterfinal where we are outsiders in terms of the betting markets and in terms of when you look at big league experience. You talked about that, you know, wonderful stat before: twelve games undefeated for South Korea. To be fair, the Socceroos, and you can take into account opposition—they're eight games undefeated with twenty goals for one goal against. So you can find stats that give both arguments. But as you say, there's high expectations now for the Socceroos. They've done well at major tournaments in the last decade or so. So we're going to expect them to perform well when they go to major tournaments and if they're not performing at that level we're going to be critical it's not being critical for just to cut down tall poppies as some might think it's being critical because we have high expectations and high desires for where we want to see our team growing and taking those next steps in the world game or in this case in the asian game jacob what do you make of all that conversation uh, well, I'm English, so I'm I'm kind of used to it. We, <laughs> we are
2: highly, highly critical of all of our sports teams. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not phased by it in the slightest. But it is, it, it's a sign, like you said, Lockie, of people having expectations of this team. I think for too long, the team has sort of just gone about its thing and nobody's really paid attention to it. All of a sudden, a good World Cup run and now the expectation is on. And I think that it's down to the team of course, down to Arnie, down to everybody to make sure that A, they're performing to the level that is expected, but B, that we're not overplaying those expectations either. I think it's silly for for people to, you know, it's a tournament, right? As long as you're getting the wins, that's what matters. I know people make a big fuss about how good the performance was, etc., etc. At the end of the day, if you win the whole thing, nobody cares, you know, and, and Australia keeps getting wins and that's all that matters. So I think that, yeah, I think some people are overplaying things a little bit too much, but I do think that it's also a good sign that people are expecting a lot of this of this squad of, of the country um, in a sport where historically it's been sort of second fiddle, third, fourth fiddle to a lot
0: of other sports. Of course, the, the main prize on offer on Saturday morning is a spot in the semi-finals. But there is a little more to this game as well. The, the winner at the tournament's end will guarantee that they are in the top three of Asian country rankings on, on the FIFA official rankings, which will become very important in a couple of months when we do the draw for the third round of World Cup qualifying. Because this time around, we have this 48-team World Cup, the qualification has changed a little bit. We now have three groups of six instead of two in the third round of qualification. So if we can get into that top three, And yes, there's still a few more games in qualification to go before then. But uh, if we do win this game against South Korea and even push on further in the tournament, Chris, it'll go a very long way to securing that top three spot. And then we will get to avoid Japan and Iran in what is the most
1: critical round of World Cup qualifying. It's a huge bonus prize that is there on the offing. I would suggest, however, Graham, Armour and co. have not even given it any consideration because they've got eyes on one thing. I would agree. And (laughs) it's that lovely trophy that they got to lift nine years ago and they want to lift again. That said, who did we beat in the final in 2015? And yes, we'll definitely take that bonus prize if we can get missing Japan and Iran, but... And then again, it could be, you know, really bittersweet because we could be coming up for another rivalry with South Korea in qualifying if we sit three and four, and that's the way that the pools draw.
0: Yep, you're right. And I'm sure that uh, 2015 game will be fresh on the mind of a couple of those South Korean players as well. There's three that survived from that 2015 Asian Cup squad, including, of course, sun Hyun Min, who scored in that game. So it's going to be a very enticing encounter. But let's move on and recap some of the other round of 16 games that we've seen during the week. And we're going to go to Iraq 2, Jordan 3, another game that was fueled with controversy, absolutely entertaining to watch as a neutral. I was loving watching this game. The story of the red card uh, could go a lot of different ways. Jacob Amon Hussain, who we highlighted on the show last week, he's their main man, he's been scoring plenty of goals, scored Iraq 2nd to take them 2-1 up. Celebrates hard as you do when you just put your country into the lead in a major tournament, but then gets a second yellow for something to do with his celebration and gets sent off. Now, the first uh, thing that most people jump to is the timing. I don't think that's it. He took less time than one of the Jordanian celebrations earlier in the game. So we can probably rule that one out. Uh, But then he went to mimic the celebration that did happen uh, from Jordan earlier in the game. So perhaps there's something we're missing. I don't know. don't quite understand the culture, but uh, it was an interesting red card. Of course, the Australian local referee, Ali Reza Fagani was the man in charge, um, but the red card comes out. Iraq go down to 10, and then they concede two late goals to lose the game. Yeah, fascinating game to watch, just really entertaining. This is what you want from tournament
2: football is teams giving it their all literally until the end. Jordan have been just great value for money the whole time in this game in all their previous games as well, they're a fun team to watch. they have a lot of passion. they seem to be having a lot of fun out there like another team we'll talk about in a bit Tajikistan. They're just having fun and they're ex- over exceeding their expectations by a lot. you know they've just beaten Iraq who are one of the tournament favorites. Coming to that red card um it's a it's a difficult one.
0: I, I, am I right in saying that the FA have backed Fagani's decision? So, uh, no one's made any comments about the specific decision, uh, but FA have and the AFC have come out and said that, you know, they're supporting him and they're trying to protect him as well. Right, which makes sense. It it was a very, very
2: interesting call. Like you said, it could be a cultural thing. Uh, Obviously, none of us here are from the Middle East, so can't really comment on it, but it might be something to do with mimicry, mocking, you know, and how that's really not taken lightly over there. I'm not sure that's pure speculation, uh, but that's probably the most likely scenario given that, like you said, Lockie, it wasn't like he was running around for three minutes with his shirt off and, you know, it's wasting a bunch of time. Like it, was, it wasn't was a massively long celebration.
1: Yeah, it's it's certainly an interesting one. Uh, there's been some absolutely crazy speculation around it. It's really ignited soccer Twitter as we like to call it, um, and and gone worldwide. uh, Some outrage around, you know, and it was pretty horrible and I think that's why um, the AFC have come out around some sort of racial connections to um, Fagani's background, Um, obviously being Iranian heritage, which was pretty ordinary, some of the things that were said to him in regards to that. Um, And then obviously, yeah, there's no clarification around what the actual occurrence was. Some people, as you guys have touched on, is it mimicry? Was it because he jumped the hoardings? Um, you know, there's, there's a number of questions, but no clarity. Uh, so I think we're all going to be left guessing. And the big thing is there's a suspension that uh, will, will probably be dished out after this that will apply to other games. And in the end of the day, it is what it is. The decision was made on the day. Iran still had the opportunity to hold out. And, um, sorry, Iraq still had the opportunity to hold out. And um, they shipped two goals in stoppage time, which leaves them where it was. But the other controversy and you talked about fun there was one man from jordan jacob who wasn't having a whole lot of fun <laughs> and that was hamza Dardour, who also yeah. got a red card which was missed by many because he was fighting with his coach
2: <laughs> yeah um when i say they were having fun
1: um, <laughs> he's missed. button for too much fun
2: <laughs> yeah everyone but him i what on earth was going on I, i've, I've never seen anything like that. I mean, there was that one time back in like the the late 90s, 2000s, where there were the two Newcastle players fighting with each other on the pitch. But other than that, I've never seen anything like that before. It was absolutely just baffling.
1: It was more baffling from the fact that you it was you always thought, watching it, I was like, that's going to be a distraction. They need to score here. They're they're on the (laughs) front foot. They're up a minute. That happened. And then they just got back to doing what they're doing. They scored and he's gone anyway. And now he's been sent home. And I'm like, Okay, well, that's um, yeah. I'd, I'd love to know the backstory. We say we'd love to know the backstory behind the the other red card. I'd love to know the backstory between what's going on there.
0: <laughs> well, you did mention Chris the two goals in injury time from Jordan. Chris, uh, this is just the stuff that dreams are made of, right? To scoring two goals, the last one as well, which is brilliant to win the game. It's just everything you dream of as a footballer to score that kind of goal for your country and advance them in a major tournament.
1: Well, it's it's a it's a double edged sword. You you want to do that for your country at any point to win a game, but to do it in an elimination game in what is essentially well for for these countries, it's their second biggest tournament, the biggest tournament for them outside of the World Cup, is monumental and yeah, that's something that obviously you'll live with for the rest of your life. And should Jordan, you know, go on from here and we can talk we'll talk a little bit later on about their quarterfinal draw and where they go from there, it's gonna be something that'll go down in, in Jordanian football folklore, undoubtedly, these two goals, and especially as you touched on, lucky that final goal, which was an absolute stunt.
0: Absolutely. Well, as you say, we will get to their quarterfinals soon, but we'll cap off uh, with Iran 1, Syria 1, another win on penalty shootouts, this time to Iran. But, Jacob, they'll have to go against Japan in the quarterfinals without Mehdi Taremi, who was my pick for the golden boot, which is not looking too good right now. <laughs> he's going to miss a game. He won and converted the penalty for Iran's lone goal, but then in second half takes a very professional foul. It would have been a two-on-one situation, so you could argue about whether it was worth it or not. Uh, But he's off, he will miss the next round even though Iran progress.
2: Yeah, it's a massive loss for Iran. He's been such an important part of their team, both in this tournament and historically in the past as well. I don't have any qualms really with him taking that foul when he did. You know. It was a moment of desperation. It just happened to be one of their most important players that was put into that situation, and it was almost unavoidable from him. Um, one of those ones where he won't be angry at himself; he'll probably be angry at his teammates that he was the one in that position. Uh, but yeah, up against um, Japan, that's going to be a, a fantastic watch, I'm sure. The two high quality sides: Iran, obviously, at the World; they made the last World Cup. And one of the favourites here, Japan, always a favourite in the Asian Cup, will be a very, very good game, a great watch. Um, It's another game as well that's gone to penalties in the knockouts. Seems to be a thing recently in tournaments with with, uh, international teams where it's going to penalties a lot more. And whatever that might be, whether it's teams staying in the game for longer, whether it's teams sort of just giving up on on pushing for the win and settling for penalties and taking
0: their chances there, I'm not sure. But it makes things a little bit more exciting for the neutral viewer. Chris, uh, to Remy, does he
1: have to be a little bit more
0: careful if he's on a yellow card there? It was a little bit out wide, not going
1: straight towards goal. Look, it could have, would have, should have, I guess. It's uh, one of those ones had, you know, um, Syria gone away and managed to get the only goal in the game from free play. Lots of people will be hanging in from the rafters. It's like we talked about before, mom- moments of you know brilliance, moments of despair. I think if I'm in the same spot there, I'm probably making the same decision. I don't know whether it's in his mind at that moment of making that split decision of the yellow card. it not a lot of time to think about. He had to make a decision, and as Jacob touched on, if, if anyone's dirty on anyone, it should be him on his teammates, the fact that he was left there that, knowing full well that he is their talisman and he was on a yellow card.
0: All right. Well, we do have a little bit of A-League news to catch up on as well. There's been plenty of transfer news, which has been very exciting to see. We'll get all those uh, comings and goings on our A-League men's episode next Tuesday because there's simply too much to talk about today. But the news this afternoon, Jacob, was that Ben Kahn is taking indefinite medical leave as head coach of the Brisbane Raw. He quoted in the release saying, it's an incredibly difficult decision to step away from something I've worked so hard for, but my health and my family come first. I'm very grateful to management for supporting me in this decision and have no doubts that they'll continue to take the club forward. There are all the details we have uh, and obviously it's not ideal for the Brisbane Raw, but I guess all we can say is that we wish, the, uh, wish Ben the best in his recovery. Yeah, just as he's
2: taken over his first A-League club, um, you know, yeah, just best wish, best wishes to him. Hope that whatever he's going through, you know, he, he recovers quickly and can get back at the helm.
0: And it does see a return, Chris, uh, to A-leg coaching life for Ruben Zadkovic. Their newly hired
1: assistant coach has taken
0: the number one job.
1: Well, if nothing else, you know it's going to be a lively time on the Brisbane Raw bench over the next few weeks <laughs> until Ben Kahn returns because <laughs> we know Zad's, as a player, as a manager, has never left us wondering what he's thinking. So... Look, it's great to see him back. He is one of the characters of the A-League. Uh, I, as a Newcastle Jets fan, used to love having Zads as our pl- one of our players because, again, you knew he put his heart and soul into everything and was just flying high and getting amongst it. So we need some more characters in our game, so we won't be lacking that on the, in the Brisbane Royal dugout for the next few weeks as he uh, leads from the front.
0: And then some more really strange news today, Jacob a group called CyberNews discovered a cybersecurity risk that allegedly would allow access to passports and contracts of Football Australia registered players as well as information on potentially every FA customer. They're saying that this vulnerability was apparently accessible for almost two years before CyberNews discovered it and then contacted the FA who managed to fix the error before all the information was made public. I saw a, a meme on, on Twitter from Joey Lynch saying, oh, APL, no. and so, Oh, no, sorry, force of habit. Football Australia, no. <laughs> it's a little bit of running commentary on the state of football in this country, but it just seems like we can't go a week without some weird thing happening. I think they were... Um-
2: a bit jealous of all the um, attention that Optus and Medibank were getting a couple of years ago with their data breaches. So they thought, oh, we'll have a slice of that pie. Uh, from what I've heard and read, it was a human error where they just left some, like some data, some keys out somewhere accessible and. <laughs> Uh, you know that, that's the sort of thing that happens if you're not if you're not double checking everything.
1: <laughs> I, I'm sorry. So they just someone's just left the keys out to the bank vault. Is that what you're telling me, Jacob? Just out, out on <laughs> not, the front step the of same. the bank. Key? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, like like like, com- like computer code. There's a little gif on the FA website, and it's just a key, and you click it.
1: And <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, and, and if you can guess the password, it's football. Uh, <laughs> it's just. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit uh, calamitous, isn't it? And I, I thought exactly the same, to be fair, Lockie, uh, as the meme you referred to when I first saw this. I was like, what have the APL done now? They've sacked all of their keep-up division and now Calm has come to bite them in the backside. But no, it wasn't them. So, yes, football is the game that keeps on giving both on and off the field at the moment.
0: Yes. Well, you know, this story is still developing. FA put out a statement saying that they will look into it and, and you know, more will come, I'm sure. Uh, but... Yes, another crazy story in the week of Australian football. The other results uh, from the round of 16, uh, Bahrain one, Japan 3. Jacob, despite a little bit of a rocky time in the groups, uh, Japan got past Bahrain with relative ease in this one. They conceded one own goal, a bit of a mix-up between ASA Ueda and his goalkeeper Suzuki, but apart from that, relatively smooth sailing for Japan.
2: Yeah, I think sort of a bit of a course correction considering how they've had a bit of a rocky time so far in the tournament. They'll take, I'm sure, a lot from the fact that the only goal they conceded was an own goal. Um, You know, they were defensively rock solid, didn't concede an actual goal, um, and they put three past Bahrain as well. You know, they'll be happy to smooth sail now on into the quarterfinals. I'm sure they won't be happy if they get knocked out in the quarterfinals. They're probably one of the teams aiming for semis as a pass mark, um, but, you know, They've gotten over that first hurdle, so you know they'll, they'll take a lot of confidence into the game, I'm sure. And it's a good one as well. They're going to be up against Iran, so there's a
0: lot, lot on offer there, and it could be an absolutely cracking game. Did we learn anything
1: from Japan in this game, Chris? I, I think we learned that Japan know had a pace their run at a major tournament. And they're starting to settle into their stride. They did enough to get through their group where they needed to. Some other results might have helped them. They ended up in some good spots because you know they didn't have to take on South Korea, but. Look, at the end of the day, the results are there. And like we talked about, there's going to be high expectations. So if they don't go all the way to the final, there'll be people baying for Japanese blood back in the uh, land of the rising sun. So they've got high expectations. They'll continue on though. And yeah, it's probably starting to build into some ominous form for them. But again, it's just one game. So we'll see how they go against a really big test for Iran.
0: Qatar beat Palestine 2-1 as well. And what really actually stood out for me in this game is Qatar's attacking set pieces will ensure that they are a threat in every single game that they play. They've obviously spent a lot of time together. Most of their players come from the Qatari Super League and it very clearly shows. You know, The first goal uh, they scored was straight off the training park. They had a few tries at a couple more, Chris, that didn't quite work out. But when you have a team that's you've trained that much together, which is a little bit rare at international level, they're always going to be a threat from these kinds of dead ball situations.
1: They certainly are, and they've spent a lot of time together, as you say. A lot of them are very aware, even if they're not training together on that regular basis. You know, it's not a club side. it's They're all aware of each other. They're playing in a very tight-knit league. They're getting time to spend together, which is not a luxury that some of these other sort of – what I'll talk about, the other top four sides who are all clashing in those other quarterfinals necessarily have because their players are spread across the world, especially some of their bigger names. So they've got that benefit, and they've sort of flown under the radar a little bit, Qatar. We've got to remember they're the hosts. They're the defending champions – and of the five, if we call it the five favourites, they've got the easiest, in inverted commas, draw in terms of the quarterfinal. So, yeah, don't sleep on Qatar. I think they're um, they, they're going to sneak in and be a threat and I'd be surprised if we don't see them in the semifinals.
0: And Jacob, you know, Chris is right. They have a great record in Asia in recent times, but perhaps that World Cup performance led to a lot of people perhaps underestimating them.
2: Yeah, and a lot was made of the fact that before the World Cup, they had that massive training camp together for like two months or whatever it was, and I think we're sort of seeing a bit of the the results of that now in terms of just how well gelled they look and they're all in sync, especially at the set pieces like you mentioned. To be able to be on the same page as your teammates in international football is something that teams can't take for granted because, I mean, like Chris touched on players are spread all over the world now and if they're coming then into an international side where they haven't played with each other haven't played against each other and the manager's trying to do something that maybe they haven't tried before that that can be you know really harmful so i think qatar have been able to go right whatever we did for the world cup didn't work clearly um so let's have a look now towards the asian cup what do we need to do to make sure that we are playing our best football, that we are all operating on the same wavelength and that we can do what we know that we can do and that we were hoping to do at the World Cup? And it looks like that they've corrected
0: those things and and they're playing some good football. And if you have, if you have a team that's clicking like them and someone like Akram fee who, Chris, I believe was your tip for the golden boot, and if he's firing up top like he has been so far... They're going to be a dangerous team. It's going to be interesting to see how their tournament plays out as well. But the final game uh, that we're yet to cover is Uzbekistan 2, Thailand 1. Chris, Uzbeks, they're doing the Group B name proud. Uh, They probably should have won by more in this game, to be perfectly honest. They dominated in the first half, but only managed to score one goal. Uh, but, yes, uh, Group uh, Group B, place one and place two, both advance.
1: Yeah, it's great to see Group B representing. Uh, I think way back in the uh, preview, I might have tipped that they were going to be the danger side to the Socceroos in our pool. I'm currently applying for dual citizenship. I'm all about the Uzbeks. Jacob touched on it before. They are a fun side to watch. They just genuinely look – it's like when you go and see a park side where guys are just enjoying each other's company, enjoying playing football together, which – weirdly you don't see that often and i understand there's a lot of pressures at international level so it's a great story i think they had very little expectation many people didn't even tip them to get out of the group they've not only got out of the group they've gone and knocked off a fairly impressive scalp. but they're having a good time and playing some attractive football by doing it there's not much more you could ask for jacob it's very impressive isn't it oh massively so yeah i love to see
0: it (laughs) that's all i can add chris absolutely hit it out of the park Fair enough. Well, if we have a look at the matchups for the quarterfinals, then of course we know the Socceroos are taking on South Korea. The other matchup on our side of the draw is Jordan and Tajikistan. Chris, you talk about fun. There's a whole lot of fun in that game between those two countries. It's a, it's amazing to think that those two teams, Jordan or Tajikistan, one of them will be in an Asian Cup semi-final.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm going to go for the the outlandish upset here. I'm going to go for Tajikistan um, again, exceeding expectation. Jordan are going to be feeling it after a long game. so let's see what Tajikistan can do. There's no pressure or expectation on them so I'm going to lean to them and uh, hopefully we get a bit of an upset and a surprise packet into the semifinals.
0: And then on the other side of the draw is Qatar and Uzbekistan and then Jacob a very big matchup in Japan as and Iran as we've already touched on. It's interesting uh, these four or five big teams that we've you know are considering favorites, Matching up in the quarterfinals, it almost looks like the quarterfinals potentially could be more competitive than the semifinals, which is odd for a major tournament. It is odd and it's going to be a real statement piece for the sides that do win
2: because they'll be able to go, we have just knocked off our biggest competition here. Like It could also lead to complacency, yes, but I think that they would take a lot of confidence, the winning side, into you know the semifinals and then the final if they make it because they go we have taken the biggest scout we could take. That's the thing with tournament football is you can only face the teams that you have in front of you, that, that you happen to come across. The shenanigans in the group stages, anything can happen. You've just got to t- beat the team that's in front of you. And right now, yeah, Japan have Iran, Australia have South Korea. It's going to be a case of who is up to that challenge, who is up to have a bit of a, 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 you know, a fight in terms of Going to to win that game and and putting you know that one extra goal past the other goalkeeper than is put past yours, I am really looking forward to it. These are going to be some absolutely insane matchups. I'm actually kind of happy that that happening early because it does give a little bit of room for the likes of Tajikistan or Uzbekistan to maybe sneak through and and you know potentially make the final. That would be incredible, wouldn't it?
0: It would, and I mean, we're at the quarterfinal stage of a major international tournament, Chris. It's just fun everywhere you look, right? We've got two absolutely blockbuster encounters, Australia, South Korea, Japan, Iran, two teams in Jordan and Tajikistan that have captured the hearts of a lot of Asian football supporters all the way through Then you've got the hosts playing on home turf, uh, playing great football, and Uzbekistan's who are just having plenty of fun along the way. It is four seriously enticing matchups, and the rest of this tournament is going to be great to watch.
1: It's awesome. There's eight really strong narratives uh, for different reasons, teams with expectation, teams with none, teams just playing freewheeling football, teams trying to strangle the football out of the opposition and get themselves through on penalty shootouts. So there's some great stories, and I'm sure we're going to have four really great stories after the quarterfinals, as we said, there's two headline games, but those other two games I'm sure won't disappoint. You very rarely walk away unsatisfied uh, after a, this stage of a tournament, so it's only going to keep heating up and I can't wait for Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night and Sunday morning and a whole lot of lacking sleep over this weekend and <laughs> for, for, for all the right reasons.
0: Well, for those of you listening at home, make sure you set your alarms for Monday morning because that is not our usual time slot, but we will be back on Monday for a review of these quarterfinal matchups. We look forward to talking with you then, but that will do for this episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast. Chris McPherson, thank you very much. Thanks, Lockie. Jacob Stevens, your Wi-Fi held out. Well done. It did. Uh, It's an absolute miracle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. As I said, we'll be back on Monday morning, but thank
1: you all for listening. Goodbye.